Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It's Monday, March 9th. We tell you, everybody, that because many of you are downloading this broadcast and listening to it. So it's Monday, March 9th. Good to have you with us. This broadcast, again, is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Very excited and honored to have that. We appreciate you joining us this week. And uh, the Hot Topic segment, that's a big area of interest with a lot of people there's, it, it, like one company said, if they haven't heard a rumor about mergers, if they're being bought or not, they started one by 9 o'clock because it was so anticipated that they, if they hadn't heard a rumor, they started one by 9 o'clock in the morning. So there's a lot of rumors in a lot of companies whether or not they're being bought or sold. So we're going to be talking about mergers and acquisitions. And we're bringing on one of the nation's foremost authorities on that topic, and he just happens to be a good friend and a business partner. So glad to have Chuck Klein of Mortgage Banking Solutions, who is, without question, one of the nation's foremost authorities. I am experts on the area of M&A, mergers and acquisitions. We're excited about having him here. We'll be working with him on that. Very, very special thank you goes out to United Guarantee. Are you aware that they are the number, or they, they are now for the fourth year in a row, the MI industry, mortgage insurance industry leader, for the fourth year in a row. Congratulations on doing a great job. You know, I guarantee. Uh, one talk briefly about the, uh, the MI comparing it to FHA insurance. Here's some things you need to consider when you're considering an FHA loan. United Guarantees pricing is more attractive than FHAs for most products and borrowers. FHA insurance premiums on new loans with an LTV greater than 90% cannot be canceled. FHA mortgage insurance premium could be as much as three times the cost. United guarantees MI over the life of the loan. United Guarantee can offer faster and less complicated closings because the company reduces the need for FHA appraisals. It's easier for a seller to meet the inspection requirements when you're dealing with United Guarantee and their program. United Guarantee offers more premium payment choices, including borrower paid, single paid, monthly paid, lender paid, all kinds of paid options you can get yourself set up for. I was listening to one of Quicken Loans ads over the weekend, and they said, no, am I? We take care of it for you. And I go, they're using United Guarantee. Anyway, uh, for many of you who are not familiar with this, be sure to head out to their website, www.ugcorp.com, and uh, look forward to talking with you and getting – they're looking forward to talking to you. And get a hold of one of their account executives. They have got some of the greatest account executives uh, I've run across, just knowledgeable, true professionals. Mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Thank you, UG, United Guarantee, for being a sponsor. Also, a special thank you goes out to VELMA, which stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They are so helpful. They're dedicated to helping you build stronger, more profitable relationships. And they have this wonderful set-it-and-forget-it auto campaign feature that makes them a real nice solution. And they can do custom campaigns on the fly. We use them. 
for this radio broadcast, I encourage you to consider Velma. Go to Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com, the nation's most affordable and powerful marketing platform that I have seen, and I use it as a result. Also, a special thank you goes to Alice, Joe, and Andy for all that they do to make this program so successful. We're the number one listened to podcast broadcast in the industry. Quick update on some upcoming MBA conferences that May 29th through the April 1st. We have the National Technology Conference in the high, in Orlando at the Hyatt Regency in Orlando. Also, we have April 13th to 14th, the state and local workshop, as well as the National Advocacy Conference that tags on right behind that. Both of those are at the Capitol Hilton in Washington, D.C. And then also May 3rd through the 6th, a legal issues and regulatory compliance conference. I'm sure Alice will be a featured speaker there. I'm not sure if she is, but she should be. That's at the Sheraton Chicago and the uh, Sheraton Hotel and Towers. May 17th through the 20th, we have the secondary marketing, secondary conference in New York City at the Marriott Marquis. Good to be with you. We're so excited to have you here. Now, Joe Parr is traveling. He's actually at a conference today, and he sends his greetings to all of you. As we say in Texas, he sends it to all y'all. That's a great expression I'd like to pick up. I've picked up since living here in Texas. So, um, you know, I, I tell stories on Joe every once in a while. When he first came out, I said, Dave, I just got too thick of accent. I don't think I'll be good on the radio. Well, you know what? Everywhere he goes, they go, he is just a love. He gets the feedback. And uh, so needless to say, it's been a success, and he recognizes everyone likes the way Joe talks. So let's take a look at what's going on in NBA quote line. I'm dialed into the service right now. No economic data coming out today, but we have the JOLTS, which stands for the Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. That report is released tomorrow at 10 a.m. We're going to be paying close attention to that because when you looked at last week, we had the first couple of days, the first three days last week, where we had you know, the jobs number, whether it's personal income, jobless claims, or the ADP employment change data. All of that was mixed last week. And then we had the big shocker that came out on Friday where we said the non-farm payroll numbers, and that was 295,000. We were projecting 240,000, so a big jump there. And we saw the market trade off heavy. I mean, bond prices shot, up, shot down, mortgage rates shot up on Friday. So the JOLTS report is, going to be a, is a more holistic, it's a broader uh, perspective. We're going to be paying close attention to the JOLTS report tomorrow at 10 a.m. It could be a market mover. It's either going to confirm the Friday numbers that we saw with the um, non-farm payroll numbers, or it's going to confirm some of the mixed data. If that's the case, then we should see some correction in the market, hopefully. Again, that's my thought. <laughs> MBS quote line. We're hoping for that. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Also, we have two treasury auctions. We have one, a three-year treasury auction on Tuesday. We also have a 10-year treasury auction on Wednesday. We have the treasury auction on the 30-year bond on Thursday. So we'll be paying attention to the flow of money. It does give us insights to what's going on in the rest of the markets. Of course, money flowing into the bond market should, in theory, drive mortgage rates down. Money flowing out and into the more riskier investments, the stock market and the like, it has a tendency to cause mortgage rates to um, to go up. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Also, jobless claims, uh, another weekly report. Jobless claims expect to come in at 300,000. And um, and we'll take a look at that. Retail sales, both with sale, with auto sales and excluding auto sales, will be coming out on Thursday as well. PPI, the producer price index, and core PPI will be coming out on Friday. Lots of economic data, although it's overall, compared to the last couple of weeks, a much lighter calendar. So that's what we've got. That's my version of what Joe would normally give for a market update. He does a great job, and we miss it. We wish him safe travels, and um, 
look forward to having him back next week. All right, that's it. Let's go off to a quick ad break, and we'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLend delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Good to have you with us, everybody, again, March 9th, Monday, is the broadcast. Good to have you with us. Someone just texted me and said, Dave, you sound different. Where are you? And I said, yeah, I'm on my cell phone. I'm sitting in the Admiral's Club here in the Austin Airport. I'll be flying out this afternoon. So uh, I was doing this broadcast from the second studio, which is the Admiral's Conference Room here, the Admiral's Club Conference Room here at the Austin Airport. We've got Paul Mollo on the line. I always love it when Paul dives in, and I'm looking over here at his website. And, uh, Paul, good to have you here on the broadcast. Lots of good news items. Dr. Mollo? <laughs> Doctor, I don't have a medical degree. I know. You're, you're, so you're not. You're for, wait a second. Let's back up a second. You're not an original uh, Texan. I'm not. I'm not. Andy and Chuck are very tolerant of me. I get to put on that. Chuck's a true born here and born and bred in Texas. And by the way, he's our special guest. And you always want to get information right. on M and A. He's on, man. You have to listen broadcast. In fact, I mean, if you put your hands up, I mean, even let you ask a question in there if you want it. What, what so time anyway, does the M and A portion start? It starts right after. It's going to actually start a little bit earlier because we've got the thing. So it'll be probably starting here in the next 15 minutes or so. Oh, so, okay. Uh, right. Yeah, hang on in. I'll get a, chunk, a question. A question. <laughs> Chuck. Anyway, Paul, I'm looking at your website. Uh, originations of interest-only loans uh, help steady. What's what, what's going on there? Yeah, as you know, we crunch a ton of data here at uh, Inside Mortgage Finance and IMF News. Uh, you know, we crunched the uh, fourth quarter data, and lo and behold, it turns out that uh, uh, PHH Mortgage is the largest IO lender in the nation. And that's actually sort of interesting because PHH doesn't. It is. They don't have a balance sheet. And, and the banks that do the IOs, they put them on their balance sheet. So we can only ascertain that essentially uh, PHH is, you know, selling these things to who? The banks, because the banks love the yield on them. They're playing the old uh, carry trade, so to speak, with uh, it not being treasuries, but mortgages where, and there's so many banks that, I think we talked about this recently, where right. you know, the banks are cost of funds at 25 basis points, and, and the jumbos are yielding at least four. So uh, it's a nice uh, nice asset to put on your balance sheet. Why should banks do C&I loans? So. Um, and, and the other big thing is, you know, everyone was afraid that, you know, IOs are not qualified mortgages. So uh, people were afraid that the QM rule might stifle production of IOs, but that hasn't turned out to be the case. So that's that's our lead story today uh, from Brandon Ivey. Uh, an interesting letter came out this morning from Community Home Lenders Association. This isn't to be confused with the other trade group of a similar name. And they basically want the federal housing finance agencies to go really slow on their uh, capital rule for non-bank servicers. And it's it's strange. I have to do more follow-up on this. But they mentioned in the release uh, that some non-banks have actually been subjected to what they call additional regulatory requirements 
Uh, we didn't get into too much detail, but we will later on. So something's afoot with that. Yes. That's obviously a big deal for the industry. Uh, who heads so up that, that association, Paul? Who heads that uh, up? Um, you know, I, I have his email. <laughs> I was emailed with him this morning. Hold on. Yeah, I, I was just like, is, who is, is it? That, uh, uh, is that Glenn Corso? No, Glenn Corso's got a similar name. I think his, his is CMLA. His uh, Scott Olson, right. I believe. That's who it is. Scott, Scott Olson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, right, anyway. I'm and, to keep them straight, and I have to do it by name, so that's good. Right, right, right. So good idea. Uh, also, uh, on the on the website today, uh, we went over the mortgage employment numbers a little more closely. Uh, you know, basically mortgage employment was flat in January. These are according to BLS numbers from out of the federal government. Uh, you know, you know, it's funny with with rates taken up the last couple of weeks. You know, we're people are pretty optimistic. Uh, uh, up until about yeah. a month ago, so you know now they're you know, they're starting to worry a little bit about what production is going to look like in the second half of the year, and also this morning you know you heard more about you know that the Fed hikes rates by what twenty five basis points you know how you know, how bad is that going to hammer the market in the second half for yep. um, yes. not only mortgage lenders but you know realtors so it's it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, also uh, on the website uh, we went over. J.P. Morgan's uh, conference call, or I sh- should say, their investor, they had Investors Day uh, last week. Kevin Waters was there, uh, and he was basically saying, you know, that J.P. Morgan's going for higher quality mortgages, and they're making uh, a big push into jumbos. They're already big in jumbos, but they're seems like they're really focusing on jumbos. Uh, and uh, you know, was was it back in the summer? I think Jamie Dimon was on that conference call beating up on the FHA, on FHA and FHA lending. So, you know, you wonder. I mean, basically, J.P. Morgan Chase can, I guess, you know, afford to be choosy on, on their mortgage business, uh, and they're doing fine. We crunched the uh, Heckam numbers. Interesting uh, data point. That's uh, Heckam lending, yeah. yeah, Heckam lending spiked by 31% in the fourth quarter compared to the third. was still down a bit uh, for the year. But it's but it's on the rebound, so we're going to keep a close eye on that. Uh, in this in the short take section, we have a report from Compass Point. They're basically telling investors to dump Walter Investment Management. Uh, hardly bullish at all. They reduce earnings projections on the company. Also, Cerberus Mortgage Capital. They uh, they yank plans to do an IPO for their uh, MBS investing uh, unit. Uh, I think uh, those IPO documents were filed in 2012, so they finally officially pulled the plug on it. Uh, and then there's a, a real short item about Collingwood. They just came out with a new survey saying uh, there's a good chance that private capital will abandon the mortgage industry if uh, Fannie and Freddie are not reformed. So that's all the uh, good stuff for today. Well, good stuff. We'd love to have you stay on and listen in and and uh, get, you know, love, love any thoughts, shoot, <laughs> shoot sure. me an email or a text. And when, in the middle of it, if you want, just want to shoot some questions over to Chuck, but should be real good to have a, get an update. We're going to be focusing a little bit on the M&A section, uh, Paul. We're going to be talking a little bit more about valuations, what's going into it, what are we seeing, valuations, what the trend lines are. That may be real interesting and something that you may want to uh, quote. Sure. Just, me- just mention the broadcast when you go out there, when you did it. You heard it on Lincoln and Lincoln. Appreciate the extra. <clears throat> hey, appreciate you dialing in. It's always good to have you. And Thanks, hopefully you hear from me a little bit later on the broadcast during the Will M&A do. section. All okay. right, folks. That's so good. Uh, really, check out IMF News. It's a great website. And uh, if you're not checking out, be sure to get over there, imfnews.com. You can get the automatic email that goes to your inbox every day. I have it coming in. It's one of the ones I read all the time. Paul's a great guy. And 
truly is on top of what's happening in the market. So, all right, let's go over. Alice Alvey, unfortunately, had a death in the family. We, our condolences go out to the family. Um, it was an older individual, so um, don't I don't know how private they are about it, so I'm not going to mention who it is. But, you know, it, it was, uh, I don't know if it was anticipated, but it was one that came where she cannot be here. So uh, our condolences go out to um, uh, the Alvey family and all of what's going on there. So, uh, again, an older individual, I hate to see him go, but, yeah, that does happen. And uh, the old ones are going, and we hate to see them go, but when they do, it does take us off of our game, and so Alice is not able to join us here today. So what we're going to do is we're going to run over to Sam Garcia and then head off to the profit doctor. Um, Alice, uh, it, go back and listen to the legislative update the last couple of weeks. She's given us some updates on things going on there. Also, we're, just to give you a little idea of what we have coming up, Alice is going to be doing on the 23rd, I believe it is, Monday the 23rd, uh, she'll be doing a broadcast about contract underwriting because it's really something we're starting to see as the ebbs and flows of volume happen. Alice, I've asked her to put together a broadcast on uh, with some contract underwriters. It's in her wheelhouse more than anyone else's. And uh, so we're going to have a broadcast on how to make variable costs, what are best practices as it relates to contract underwriting. So I think it'll be a very interesting broadcast. Bookmark that for March 23rd. All right. Well, let's get over and um, let's see here. Sam Garcia. I appreciate Sam always dialing in. He's got great information. Sam, good to have you here. How's hey, good the to weather be here, up David. in Dallas? I'm flying over you here in, a, in about a couple hours. We're flying over you up to Chicago. Um, but um, you know uh, what you got? It's kind of overcast here, but still, that's a big improvement over what we had the last couple of weeks. I'll tell you that. I am no kidding. Well, listen, here's what we no got uh, going this week. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. Let's go ahead and cover what you've got. I mean, uh, it, you always have some great information. I always tell people to go check out your website because there's just some really good content. Again, www.mortgagedaily.com. And, uh, folks, we'll encourage you to get out there. It, it's a nice compliment to uh, IMF News. So, Sam, give us uh, a rundown of what's on your radar today. Yeah, we followed those mortgage employment numbers um, each month, of course, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out mortgage employment for, uh, uh, I think it was January, and basically uh, they they were 282,000 uh, jobs. That's down 6,000 jobs from December. So uh, we saw a, a drop there, uh, kind of more than usual. Um, we took those numbers, we uh, inputted them in with the, some other market share statistics, and our data indicates that uh, mortgage jobs, including jobs at banks and credit unions, mortgage jobs at banks and credit unions, was about 627,000 uh, as of January. So uh, that's where we are with mortgage jobs, a little bit of a blip this last time around. Um, last week, we, we put out our mortgage market index, which, of course, we produce with data from Optimal Blue. And basically, last week's activity uh, was down 8% from the prior week, though still it was 13% better than a year earlier. Um, out front of the decline this last week were uh, refinances, which were down 12%. Funny thing was, was that uh, last week, uh, even though the rest of the uh, types of loan inquiries were down, inquiries for purchase financing were uh, held up. They actually went up a tiny bit. So uh, that was good to see that they hold they held because that's kind of a more of a long-term indicator of where originations are going to be. Um, 
we we got a report out uh, from Fortune magazine. They basically rate the best employers out there, and they do a survey with another company to come up with this information. Um, on their among all industries, Google ranked the highest. Um, and what was interesting was that the highest ranking mortgage company was Quicken Loans. And I, I remember, yeah. I remember me reading a couple of years ago that Quicken actually modeled their Detroit headquarters facility after a, a, a kind of a Google-style environment. So uh, it seems like that's one of the things that's uh, keeping the environment good over there is uh, uh, we've got the company that's following that kind of a model. Um, they were the highest-ranking mortgage company and number, number 12 overall. Uh, there was a few other ones on there. If you want to read the story, you'll see uh, all of the companies that are mortgage-related that made that list. Um, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out its uh, mortgage credit availability index last week. Uh, it was up a percent in February. Um, that was a slight loosening over January. And uh, out front of those particular improvements were jumbo loans, according to uh, MBA's economist. Uh, but the thing is, is, of course, while you know we did see a slight bit of easing uh, and the index came in this last time around, um, you know, much, much lower than it, it did back in 2006 when it would have been around 880. So, gosh, I don't know. I think it's like 10% of where it was uh, at that point. So we've got a long ways to go before we get anywhere near the credit conditions that were uh, in place pre-crisis. Uh, finally, uh, we got some modification data uh, reported by Hope Now. Uh, basically, modification activity was down for the fourth year in a row. Um, while there was, Not surprisingly. Uh, yeah, and, you know, and that's, uh, I think we've talked before about that. That's an indication of things, uh, conditions are getting better overall. You don't need so much government assistance uh, as we had maybe uh, in the past. But uh, uh, we saw that, uh, that Hope Now said there were a total of uh, 36,600 modifications in December, and included in those were 10,700 HAMP transactions down from more than 11,000 the month before. So, And that pretty much covers everything that uh, we talked about for here today, David. Good stuff. Yeah, good information. Excellent, excellent. Um, Sam, thanks so much. Folks, check out the website again. Go to www.mortgagedaily.com and get a hold of Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com or give him a call, 214-521-1300. Sam, thank you so much. Stay warm, stay Thank dry you. up there. I'll be looking uh, from about uh, thirty some thousand feet over here in a couple hours. Look, I'll catch you. So I'll be looking for you. Fly. Yeah, I'll be looking. Yeah, right. All right, man. There's just a few flights over there. All right, have a good one, and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All right. Thanks, David. Bye. All right. You bet. Well, it's always fun to have the Prophet Doctor on the radio, and we have him here with us again, and he's going to be joining me as we interview. Uh, Chuck Klein on the M&A, but let's get his thoughts and wisdom, see what pearls he has for us. Prophet Doctor, what you have for us? Hey, Dave. Well, I'm, you sound great, even though you are at the Admiral Club of the Austin <laughs> Airport, and you have great Internet service, too, so that's that's good news. Amazing. Well, this week we but, are having our fourth in our accounting series webinar through the Mortgage Bankers Association. It's being presented this Thursday, and this is the the culmination of the presentation and to, on this week, we're going to be talking about the intricacies of hedge accounting. And so that's going to be a, a, a fun uh, presentation for me to give and sometimes a frustrating presentation for people to hear only because 
some of the stuff just you got to turn your head sideways and go, what the? It's called the unintended <laughs> consequences of gap. It's called the unintended consequences of gap. So let me give you a really quick example, if you don't mind, okay? Yeah. I'm, you're a business owner. I'm going to ask you, real, let's talk about, we own a mortgage company. And when we close a loan in our mortgage company, we collect origination fees. So we take those fees in, and we've got a commitment from someone to buy the loan and within a couple of weeks. And so like, like if you're a big housing developer, you get to recognize income on the houses you build on a percentage of completion method, they call it. Whereas a house is getting ready to be sold, you can recognize the game. So we've got a mortgage. We've got a buyer. We've got a loan that's closed. It's an asset. We've got a buyer to buy it, so we recognize that income, the gain. We set up an accrual for that because we want to have all of our revenue and expense in the same month because we closed the loan in February, so we want to have all of the revenue in February. We have our commission expense in February, so that way when you run your P&L, everything makes sense. Well, you know, here's the funny thing. Gap comes along and it says, you know that origination fee income you collected when you closed the loan? We're not going to let you recognize that income. No, you've got to defer that until the loan's sold and and that gain on sale that you're going to make when you sell the loan because you've got a buyer, nope, you can't recognize that either. got to defer that. And now here's the one. This is the one that makes everybody's head turn sideways and go, what the? We're going to make you, Gap says, for all of your loans that are in your pipeline, so your potential loans, the loans that could, the, the applications that might become loans, when we lock a loan, we've got an expected gain we're going to make when we sell the loan. So when we... When we have our pipeline, Gap says, we want to know how much profit you've got built into your pipeline. So the loans that haven't closed yet, you have to put that money in your books. You have to recognize gain on loans that haven't closed, but you can't recognize gain on loans that have closed, just haven't been sold, and you can't recognize the fees on loans that have closed but haven't been sold yet. And so you go, hmm, I'm going to recognize the gain on my pipeline, but I can't recognize the gain on my loans that have closed. Yep, that's what generally accepted accounting principles implements. And the reason behind that is it's called an off-balance sheet financing facility with market risk. So an interest rate lock commitment that we give to a customer, that is a firm, formal, market-sensitive, rate-subject-to-change, value commitment that we've made it made to a customer and since we made this formal commitment to a customer to give them specified rate and terms when they close the loan that's considered a, a contractual obligation it's an off balance sheet financing facility with market risk because rates go up rates go down and so we have to take the value of our pipeline and put it on our books like we do our hedge as well but anyway we're going to talk all about the counting details to make it so that when we submit our financial statements to the warehouse lenders, they're perfect gap. Because you have to. You have to submit gap financials to the warehouse line lenders because as a FDIC or OCC uh, depository, they have to receive gap financials. So we're going to yeah. do our gap conversion from our – but anyway, why would you recognize money on loans that, on, on applications? I mean, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense to me. But that's gap. So we're going to talk about that's that gap. and goodwill and MSR well, and burnout. That's why it takes it takes people like you to be able to interpret and understand all that and share that with us. And that's what that's why we have you here. I'm glad to well, have. Well, one quick side note: we've been talking about we've been talking about the federal housing authorities, uh, the FHFA on um, 
new capital standard, right. and they talk about right. tangible net worth, and they say in tangible net worth that that tangible net worth means your capital less intangible items, like goodwill is an intangible item, mortgage servicing rights is an intangible item. Fannie Mae currently gives the exception for MSRs, but we're going to see how that fares out. But you know what? If you if you buy a company and you offer to the buyer an earnout where you're going to pay them money over time, you have to under GAAP consider that earnout as a liability, and you have to you have to capitalize the amount of the expected payout. It gets it gets discounted, but still you got to create that liability. And you know what you do with the other side of it is you have to have a balanced journal interest. So you're going to create goodwill with an earnout liability, and you know what happens to goodwill ah. in a mortgage company? It gets pulled it right gets... out of capital. So you got the liability in reality, but no offsetting asset. Interesting. Well, and this is this is the unintended consequence of an M and A. This I was with a company working, helping a company that was dealing with this, and I know Chuck's done a lot of companies with earnouts. There's gap. There's accounting considerations. There's unintended consequences, and then there's the reality of the market value of your company based on your future cash flows, and that's what we're going to hear all about. Chuck talking about just a what second. a great segue. What a great segue into our. Hot topic here. Excellent, Andy. Thank you. Appreciate that. And with that, we're going to take a quick ad break, and we're going to have Chuck Klein on talking about M&A, the trends going on, what are valuations doing. You want to tune in. I suspect we're going to have Paul Mahler raising his hand because he's always trying to get to Chuck Klein. What's the latest? Give me a scoop. Give me it before anyone else has it. So anyway, it's good to have you with us, everyone. And again, this is March 9th, Monday. It's that broadcast. We're about ready to get into the hot topic segment which has to do with M&A, and we'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. We'd like to introduce a good friend of mine, and Andy's, and better yet, he's even a business partner. Very fortunate to have Chuck Klein and Paul Mollo saying they let you partner, they partner with you being a non-Texan. Well, there's this thing about Texas, folks, man. If you ain't from here, you're not. <laughs> but they let me in. I'm glad. I don't know. I'm learning the secret handshake yet, but Andy and Chuck, good to have you both on here. We are, it's down to the three of us. We've had Alice uh, at, dealing with family, loss in the family, and uh, Joe's at a conference. So, Andy, you and I get to do what we get to do all the time, then chat with Chuck, Hello. and it's uh, really good. So, Chuck, good to have you on the broadcast. I want to make sure you're there. I'm here. Dave, thank you so much once again for having me. What a, what a treat to be with you today. It's always a pleasure. I always love getting the updates. And I'm getting emails from clients and from um, from listeners already 
asking questions about that. And they go, I'm really interested in valuations. Get her get to there. But I think we need to, first of all, I want to introduce people that do not know you, Chuck, as your 41-year veteran of the mortgage industry. You and I have been at it. started in 1973. Uh, not together, but we got together, unfortunately, and very pleased to have you as a partner. And uh, you have really specialized for years, both in loan servicing sales and M&A transactions, and you have done some of the largest transactions out there in the industry. And there's really a handful of you guys who really, really know this business. And I, I just want to talk about, start off by talking about the importance. And this is this may sound like it's a self-serving, but uh, as an ad, but it's it's really meant to help people understand. There's a real small group. Now, there's a lot of people who can talk M&A and most can spell it, but that's about as far as their knowledge goes. There's really a subset, Chuck, that really know this space. And I think that's so important. Then I want to get into trends. So give your thoughts on that. There, I mean, how many are there that really would consider true experts like yourself in the M&A space within the mortgage industry? Is it is it even five of you? You know, Dave, I, I don't know that I can answer the question. There's... Uh, Probably several people who uh, specialize in M&A. There's, there's, I'm going to say a half dozen firms that I think are in it every single day. That's their primary source of business. And uh, I, yeah, I'd like to say it's because we're we're specially talented, but I think it's just we're more patient than everybody else. <laughs> These deals take a long what? time to do. Us. <laughs> I had a friend years That's ago a- who said it's a long, it's a long gestation period, and, and they are very time consuming. <laughs> take a lot of time a lot of patience a lot of patience well i think that is a key uh and now that also is having you know you're dealing with some of the most confidential matters during a transaction and there's not a lot of people that can that can hold the confidence that can handle the emotional ups and downs that the people go through when they're selling a business so i think it takes a person now special personality type and so I wasn't sure of the number, but I thought that was just interesting that in your thought is there's maybe a half a dozen companies in the whole nation that do this. And I'll tell you, if you want to work with one that doesn't know what they're doing, you'll find out quickly how much to appreciate someone who knows what they're doing in this area. Chuck, let's get in a little bit of what you see as far as trends going on, get an update. You were on the broadcast. And I was looking at it. I thought it was more recent than that, but it was a year ago, Chuck. It's been that long. So I want to get an update and our list, update our listeners on really what do you see as the uh, the transaction, it seems like every time you turn around, there's another M&A transaction being announced. But how would you characterize this? Is this really growing exponentially, or is this just a part of a normal market business cycle? Well, uh, and first of all, Dave, I think I've been on sooner than you know, more recently than a year. I think. Okay, so good. Much. Anyway, it's always right. it's always good to be back and and visiting with with you and the audience, but. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's there's probably more M&A activity. Or when I say activity, you know, not necessarily deals getting closed, but discussions about potentially selling your mortgage company and buyers wanting to be involved in the space. And I, I think it's really been going on since about 2011. That's when we really saw the pickup. And I, I think there's a, a lot of discussions, and, uh, you know, and rightfully so, that, that – uh, you know, I, I, we always try to instruct our clients that you always, if you're going to be in a business, you need to have an exit strategy of some sort. It doesn't mean you need to sell today or tomorrow, but you need to be thinking about, you know, how how am I going to get myself out of this business at some point? And, and most companies, Dave, as you know, mortgage companies were started, you know, uh, by by a, a one or two individuals, and they probably have been very good loan producers, and they struck out on their own as, as loan brokers and 
they grew into doing some some correspondent lending, got a warehouse line, and grew and grew and grew. And and uh, you know some of the companies we're seeing today that are interested in selling and really looking at exit strategy are, are companies that have been in business for twenty to twenty five years. And there's a lot of them out there. The, the successful guys have been around a while. Now that doesn't mean there's not a lot of new companies, but the uh, the real challenge today is the um, cost of entry is so high right now that. In the old days, you could start with hardly anything as a mortgage broker and, and migrate into a, a correspondent lender. But, you know, HUD prohibits that. You're going to have to have a million to $2.5 million net worth depending on when you decide to become a mortgage banker. So uh, it isn't cheap, and now the, the Fannie has raised their requirements, and Jenny, I hear, is thinking about going to $5 million. They already haven't already gone to $5 million. So it's, you know, a typical loan officer can't start up a mortgage banking company today. They have to be more careful behind it. But... Back to your question, I, I, I believe that there's you know a significant amount of activity, but a lot more deals are getting discussed than actually getting closed. And there's a lot of rumors going around, and you know that you, you talked about earlier that uh, it, you need to be patient. Well, it's a very emotional transaction, and you're dealing with someone who created their company from scratch, and it's like it's their baby, and they created it from nothing. It's grown. It's been a very profitable exercise for them. They've seen their personal net worth grow dramatically because their ownership in the mortgage company. So, you know, we always, you know, try and advise, advise our clients, as I said, to consider an exit strategy, just not today or tomorrow, but to look forward to, you know, how are you going to get out of the business at some point? How are you going to retire from this business? There's a lot of different strategies to be employed. So um, it needs to be done in, in every business uh, at some point. Yeah, I think it's a great point. You know, a lot of people get in the business, they have success, and then they go, how am I going to get out? I remember there was a client I had in Southern California before you and I partnered, and he was actually looking at trying to sell his business, and then he looked at, he looked at all the options, and with the option to shut down his business, it would cost him, I don't remember, to get out the leases and everything. It was millions and millions of dollars, and he really, for the first time, hit the panic button, and you, you feel, can feel trapped. I got a great company. I want to out. So I think that's significant. Excuse me. One of the questions I had is: Are you seeing more buyers or sellers in the market today? Is there what and what? How do you see that changing at all? What has it been, and what do you see it going to? Well, I, I think it's actually a pretty even match, Dave. I I wouldn't say that it's it's more of one than the other. Uh, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, I could honestly tell you there was more buyers than sellers. In fact, you know, definitely. Last year, this time, there's a lot more buyers than, than there were sellers. And but with qualify, we say a buyer that a lot of those were mortgage companies, and call uh, as we call them strategic. They're looking to strategically grow their company for acquisitions. And although they have a good plan, most of them don't have the capital to acquire companies. And it's more than just going out and acquiring a company by paying someone for their net worth. And you know there was a time earlier last year when profits were down, people had felt the, the tail end of 2013 was uh, a tough period of time. They moved into 2014, and it was tougher until about May when buys began to pick up. So there was a lot of pain during that period of time. And there were some companies saying, hey, I just need to sell. I'm, I've had enough of this, so I'm thinking about selling. Well, when the reality set in that, you know, I'm the owner of a mortgage company, and I've had a pretty good return on my little investment I made years ago. And I, I saw my company grow dramatically in 2011 and really grew in 2012. 
And we kind of stumbled in 2013. And, you know, the, the irony, Dave, is, is uh, so many companies doubled and tripled their net worth during 2012. And that was, you know, probably a time we wow, yeah. never see, may never see again. And so substantial net worth had, had been built up. And the owners began to realize that that net worth is at risk every single day in this business. So some said, well, maybe I need to take some of my net worth off the table. And depending on what your growth strategy was, that may or may not have been possible because, you know, your warehouse lenders can require uh, some amount, as every every lender knows, they want to see some amount of, of net worth uh, to, to uh, you know, cover your warehouse covenants. So it's a, it's a challenge. And so a lot of owners began to say, maybe I need to have less risk today than, than I did. But the, the real challenge became that the buyers were saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll pay you net worth. We'll pay you the rest in the form of earnout. And I can tell you, Dave, that if I set, you know, uh, 20 successful mortgage companies down the road and I went through one by one by one and asked them, would they sell their company for their book value alone and, you know, uh, take the rest of any type of, of premium above the net worth in an earnout? They'd say absolutely not. And the answer I get over and over and over again is, you know, that. You know, why would I let somebody else pay me for my company with with my earnings? Well, you know, the, the, once again, the reality is it's always how they're paid. They're going to pay you with your earnings in the form of an earnout. It's always yeah. about the earnings, Dave, and I can't tell my sellers that enough, but your earnings have to be there. But, you know, most most mortgage and I say if I had 20 in the room, maybe one might have said, hey, I might consider that. But most successful companies are not going to sell their company for just an earn, just for the net worth at closing and the rest of the full earnings. So there has to be some kind of premium to make a transaction. And a lot of the mortgage companies, again, what we call strategics, did not have the capital or did not want to invest the capital when they weren't really sure what the earnings path was going to be. So back on your question, is there more buyers or so? I think it's probably an equal match. But I certainly would not call this a seller's market or buyer's market. You know, if if, uh, if it's going to be a seller's market, it has to be a mismatch. There has to be, you know, more yeah. uh, demand for my product than there is product on the market. And I don't really see that. I, I see the, the buyers still struggling coming to grips with, you know, paying a higher premium closing. But the good news is most of them are saying we know we have to pay a premium at closing now. And it needs to be more uh, if we're going to have, have a deal get done. But uh, I, I don't call this a seller's market by any means. I think it, it can become that again. 2012 was a real seller's market, but I don't think it's that way today. I think we have a pretty, you know, pretty even match of buyers and sellers, and That's I good. think a fair marketplace is being created. Good, it's good, and there seems like you know there's a, more of a realistic expectation on the buyer's part that they're going to have to be in the premium. That's encouraging to see that there's a good balance there. That's excellent. I want to get Andy in on it because Andy, the profit doctor, and you work closely together on mortgage company evaluation. And of all of the things, when we sent out the email that announcing that you were going to be on talking on this topic, uh, and you were on more recently than a year ago. I forgot that other broadcast. Sorry if I found it in, in the uh, list of all the broadcasts. Was the one year ago. I couldn't find the more recent one. But a lot of people are saying, Dave, we'd like to get an update on how are you calculating the value what is the value that's realistic? Does it your servicing in there? So I'm going to actually turn the mic over to Andy and have him dive in on that aspect because the two of you team up in that area a lot. Well, thanks, Dave. Hey, Chuck. Good to talk to you again today. 
Um, hey, welcome to Lincoln on Lending. Hey, I wanted to I wanted to circle back and touch base on just one key point uh, you made earlier, and that was when Dave was asking you the question, "How many other people are there in the industry that know this as well as you do?" Well, that was kind of a loaded question. That was a that was a tough question, and you answered it perfectly. <laughs> you go, "Well, you know, I really can't answer that. There's a lot of other qualified firms, blah 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 blah." But the point is, when you're in a negotiation to sell a company or buy a company. And Chuck already said it's a very emotional time for all. And despite the fact that we've got all these analytical models that come up with values and so forth, there's, it's still a lot of emotion. And one of the things that I've seen you do over and over and over, Chuck, is you have the ability to say the right thing at the right time to hold yeah, the so deal true. together, to know if the point that the attorneys are making for the modification to the letter of intent or the definitive agreement or just – all of these conference calls you go through to negotiate the documents that, that's, that are the underpinning for these transactions, knowing what's the right thing to include, the right thing to exclude, and say it in a way that the attorneys stop yelling at each other and hear the truth about this is just an amazing skill. And so I know you do that. I've seen it over and over and over. But do you have any any uh, quick points you want to make about the um, that part of the deal, the LOI, the definitive agreement, the content, getting the right structure in a deal? Yeah, that's that's it's a hard question, but um you know, as I said early on, Andy, it takes a lot of patience. And I think what you always have to look to is what are you trying to accomplish in the transaction? You know, what what is you know, what's the real goal here? It's it's not all about the money. I mean that's it's not. And sometimes the highest the highest price is not the best deal. In fact, often it is not the best deal. It, it's always about the culture and the, the alignment of cultures, the alignment of, of visions. And so uh, the, getting the right parties together is hard. So the task is trying to keep, when you get the right parties and you really believe you have the right parties, is keeping them on task. You know, what, what are we trying to accomplish when we started down this path? And we talked about, you know, we think it's it's worth some multiple earnings and how are we going to pay those earnings out? And we got to kind of push the emotions aside. And, you know, it can be a roller coaster. I, I, I remember a deal we did many, many years ago, and it was uh, incredible because the, the owners of the company would go out every Friday, and they had a, one of these gigantic cigarette boats, and they would take it out in the lake and go out and have a few cocktails. And at the end of Friday afternoon, they said, listen, the deal's off. We changed our mind. We're not going to do the deal. So they have a million different objections to the things raised. And by Sunday afternoon, at a, at a five, after fighting all day Saturday and, and Sunday, by Sunday evening, <laughs> we got the deal back on track. So I, I guess it's important. Let's keep the alcohol out of it, first of all, guys. We, it, <laughs> it, it's really the, it's the emotion that you you have a company you built and – you just have to, to really bring everybody back to the deal at hand, and it's just not always easy. And, and you know, there's some really smart guys in this business, and guys are a lot smarter than I am on both sides of the table, and they they perceive things to be a certain way. And sometimes the perception gets a little out of hand, and they worry about risk. And man, risk is important. I don't I don't belittle that at all. It's, it's awfully important. We always have to be conscious of it, but you know, we have to keep the deal. You know on the, the kind of the path we began down. What was our motive? What was our goal? And you always want to bring them back to that, okay, well, this is where we started. Everybody settled down, and things were said that probably 
were, weren't really meant the way they were said. You take it the wrong way. Let's let's get back down and what are we trying to accomplish, guys? And do you think it's the right deal? And if we can work out the dollars, pay them a little bit different, if we can get you to the same place, maybe it's a different path. And you have to be resourceful. You have to continue to be resourceful. And you think and think and you, you pray a lot. I can tell you that. And you ask the Lord for wisdom and guidance and uh, to, to give you clarity in trying to get everybody back together if it's the right transaction. And I can say that the, the challenge is, is always culture. We've watched you work, and there's sometimes there's no question that it seems like divine intervention to get some of these deals done. It takes that. Uh, Andy, before you go on evaluation, someone just texted me. Paul's got some comments that he's, he texted me and Paul Mala. But uh, also on the emotional side, someone said, what are the emotions? When we're going through this, I mean, do you, do, does anyone going into a transaction just want to touch on this just for a few moments, not long, because I want to get back to evaluation. On the when it comes to emotions, do people anticipate there's going to be emotional? What sets us off, and how can can they prepare so there's less of a more emotional roller coaster in that process? Real quickly to that point. Wow, you know that's that's a, once again a tough question. They've no, nobody's ever prepared for it. You know, you try and prepare your clients and try and walk them down the path. And you know, we all one one thing we try and prepare for very quickly is is that it takes time. The transaction you're about you're, you just expect a six month investment in time, and so you have to be prepared. And you know what wears people down too is a continuous, continual. They're continually asking for more and more data, and they want to research. And there's due diligence that goes on, and you start digging and questions are asked. And sometimes there's uh, questions asked when it's viewed as critical. When it really is, it's just a question. People become defensive, and once again, you're trying to protect your baby and make your baby look as as pretty as it is. And sometimes, you know, your baby's not pretty on certain days. And you just, uh, you always have to, I think the important thing is be true to yourself and be honest and look at yourself openly and try not to take everything. It's, it's a, first of all, guys, it's a transaction. There's going to be emotion involved. It's a transaction. And it's going to take us a while. We have to be patient, you know, and do it on a day-by-day process, Dave. And that's the only way I can I can prepare my customers. And because you're never prepared for every question that's going to be asked. And things things get upturned that we, we didn't expect. I mean, even owners find things with a company they didn't know about will, will pop up and do dealings. So it's a, it's a, so the, a matter yeah. of taking a day of time. Yeah, it's, so it's a data request and, and the duration of the transaction that can really end up. The things that you enter that that's a good response. All right, uh, back to the evaluation. Uh, Go ahead. Well, well, I think it's the I think too it's the ugly baby syndrome. It's the the people get get really agitated when they think their company's worth twenty million dollars and you tell them it's worth four, and so the the the, the, <laughs> yeah, the shock of the reality of value, and the ugly baby syndrome, the UBS. That it's not what they thought it was yes. going to be. <laughs> yeah, ugly baby syndrome. I like that. I like that. <laughs> because that's, well, you know, that's what Chuck does. Is he? Go ahead. Well, sometimes your baby isn't even ugly. You know, you just have a. You just you just think your baby baby's prettier than it really is. You know, and, and that's it's okay, guys. You know, it's all about earnings. You know, and if if somebody pays you twenty million dollars and you only earn two hundred thousand a year, that's not a very good earnings stream. But, you know, if, if you look at what a good return is and all the risk involved in mortgage backing and, you know, say, well, I'm willing to settle for a, a, a 20, you know, 20% return on investment. That's high. The lot mortgage companies do it. And that's where I always try to convince the, the investors that, hey, what kind of return can you get 20% off? So it's, you yeah, know, there's a lot of right. risk. But, you know, I think it's a matter of risk and reward. 
And what I try and prepare my, my sellers for is let's let's come to a realistic value. This is what I think your company's worth. And it just depends on you know how we can structure transactions to get you your money over what period of time. So let's go there a little bit deeper deeper check then. Like we've got we've got buyers who see incredible ROI in mortgage lending. We've got sellers who want to extract their capital. They're worried about the compliance cost or the regulatory uncertainty. The you know they're they're personal guarantors on the warehouse lines, and they've got repurchase risk from all the loans that have been sold. So you know whatever the sellers want to sell, the buyers want to buy. So we try to get the two people together, and you're getting together with a a seller to tell them, okay, let's figure out what we can reasonably expect a purchaser to pay for your company. What are the things that you think about, look at, off the top of your head, and then before the deep dive of due diligence, what's your kind of quick judge, rule of thumb, kind of what's a company worth? Well, I think day in and day out, Andy, that mortgage companies are, you know, worth book value plus two times earnings. And, you know, all the listeners can say, okay, well, that's what I'm worth. Well, I, I believe it, and I believe it's always that way. Now, sometimes it'll be worth three times earnings. Some marks, 2012, we were approaching three times earnings. It's just a matter of how it's paid. But the the challenge is the consistency of earnings. And let me tell you guys that it's not easy when you have a, a 2012 that's a great year for you, and you come into 2013 and your earnings fell off by 75%. In 2014, they fell another 10%. It's kind of hard to sell a company in 2012 earnings when you have not made it in a normalized market. And to me, that's a big, a, a tough, tough challenge for these sellers to realize that 2012 was probably the best year you ever had. So the investors aren't stupid. You know, you have, I believe when you work with a PE firm and a hedge fund, you better get your, your, uh, your tool belt on because they know their stuff. They understand investments and they ask a lot, a lot of questions. They want to you know, understand how are you going to get to your earnings? So if you want to project off 2012 earnings, you better have a good reason to get there. But I believe to answer your question, Andy, that it's just a quick formula that you can consider the book value of your company less two times earnings. Now, the challenge is how do you pay that two times earnings? And today, yeah, exactly. deals are getting done. Deals are getting done. You know, it, it, at the end of, of 2013, even the first quarter of 2014, it was hard to get anything above book because nobody could substantiate earnings. So, you know, we're willing to pay you what you earn, but we're not willing to pay you more than what you earn. It was the, buyer, the, the buyer's uh, perspective. And sellers were saying, well, I'm worth more than that. But I think today that if you have a company that is, has had to come off a good 2014 and their earnings look pretty stable, and they're stable in the first quarter that we're moving to 2015, then you have, you know, a, a much better base to work off of. And so, you know, we've, we've got several deals working right now where we're, you know, talking about book plus one times earnings at the closing table and possibly a little bit over one times earnings at the closing table. Now, here's another scenario. We've got a company who had a great 2012, uh, 13 earnings actually improved in 13, and in 14 they improved again. So, his comment was, I won't sell my company for less than book plus two times earnings at closing. And I said, great, I think we can do that. So, you know, our challenge now is to find the buyer that could do it. And, and I believe he has a great uh, a great um, platform to present that to because his earnings are so consistent. He's one of, in one of the best markets in the U.S. as far as property values and growth. 
So he presents a very good case. Can everybody get that? No. No. And once again, we have to go back to your earnings. So look how consistent your earnings have been. And every single deal is different. You know, that every company is different, and they're not all the same. All, all you got to get from point A to point B, but you all do it differently. And so all these companies, you have to look at, at the company itself, what your earnings look like, what your future earnings look like, and what pattern, what growth pattern are you on today, and what earnings pattern you are. Can, you know, how, how comfortable can we get with what your earnings are going to be going forward? Because once again, guys, it's all about earnings. Yeah, let's exactly. jump in. and turn, I'm going to get uh, – Paul uh, has got to run here quickly, but I turned on his mic. Paul, you got a quick question for Chuck? I know you want to talk about some uh, companies that might be out there. I'm not sure he'll pass up to that, but what you got? Uh, hey, Dave, I think I, uh, I that's okay. I, I understand he, uh, he can mention companies. <laughs> Real quick question, though, Chuck. At, at what point in, in the talks do you walk away from the table? I mean, you mentioned it's an emotional thing. You know, at what point, you know, after a month or two and nothing's moving along, at what time? At what point does the seller say, that's it, I'm not dealing with this buyer? Can you give him some advice on that? <laughs> well, it happens a lot, you know, it, it gets terminated a lot quicker than that, Paul. But, you know, you normally reach an impasse where the, the seller just says, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do it. And you walk away. Now, that could happen, you know, several months down the road or six months down the road. And, you know, I, I think you're aware of, you know, different deals we've worked on. We've worked on the deal and they end up blowing, a, a year and they end up blowing up. But I, I think, you know, it, it normally you, when the you reach an impasse and you cannot resolve it, and it's you know it's it's not necessarily always overpriced, but it's usually overpriced, and or and more importantly, when the price is going to get paid, that you cannot turn, come to terms uh, or come to grips with the terms, and you cannot come to grips with value, and you know we try and solve as much of that up front and do as much due diligence on our side. So we have a good feel, but you know, due diligence, you know, you know, bears a lot of sins, uh, and so things do come up, and even things the owners don't know about sometimes. But it, you know, it, it, like I say, it normally happens. You just say, "Well, listen, we're done." But it, it could be several weeks. But I, I don't remember ever deal where you know we we reached a, an impasse and we just didn't walk away. And, and I, I tell you, Paul, this is the toughest market I've worked in, and I've been doing this for a lot of years, hmm. as you know. And I, I really put it's the hardest market. Now, a lot of deals do get done, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I bet at least 50% of the deals we work on don't happen. And uh, you just you just have – you can't come to grips with either value or – liabilities are still a big piece of it, too. We purchase identification, things like that. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, Paul, for jumping in here. I know you got to run. I just had an email or a text message from one of the listeners say – Fifty percent is that a high trend or a low trend for the you know, based on historical? Is, is, is that seems very high? Fifty percent transactions it's very getting very down. No, I, I I'd like to say we run probably at eighty percent success ratio. So fifty percent is huge. It's huge. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time. It's so good to have you be a part. We need to have you back on a quarterly basis, just touch base and make this a regular part because there's so much going on and there's so much interest in this, Based especially when you look at the number of people that dialed in for this broadcast. It's uh, pretty extraordinary. Uh, good to have you with us, Chuck. Appreciate it so much. Listeners, we are going to be, uh, hopefully, I- I'm on vacation next week. We're putting, we're, I'm putting together a broadcast that will kind of have someone on here. We're waiting to get a confirmation. If that happens, then there will be a broadcast next week. It's possible that we may be unable to because Alice is gone, Andy is gone, and Joe may be the only one left standing. 
and we're uh, working on Joe's working on getting a guest so he can do a broadcast next week. Folks, good to have you with us. Be sure to tell others about the broadcast. We appreciate you being a part of it. Check out the today's well, broadcast. Go back and go over that. Yes, Andy. Yes. Sorry, I wanted to before you run run the run the music. I wanted to mention one quick thing. Uh, if you're going to do an M and A, you need to get in touch with Chuck to help you walk through the path. And he's going Absolutely. to get you to be sure and get get good attorneys like like Troy Garris and the guys from Mitch Kider and get good CPAs in the mix as well because this stuff is really complicated. Yeah, and you want people in there that are contributing to the transaction in a positive way rather than being dissenting voices and just messing it up. It's, it's really got to have you got to have some of those, and that's why it's only a handful of people in the nation that do this and do it well. Certainly, Chuck is one of them. Folks, appreciate you being with us. We'll look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 